1: And welcome in everybody to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Wednesday evening. If you're watching us live, or whenever you are, for spending some time to tune in with us today as well too, It is a busy time in the sports. So we got some movers, we got some, we got we got some people moving, we got some people climbing, we got some people falling, and we got some surprising call-outs as well too across all different sports. And we have crowned ourselves a champion. So it is DJ joined as always. By my co-host Kelsey and Kelsey, we always, they always talk about this being the, the slower time in sports as well, too. Like the long, the dog days of July as well, too. But we're starting off July pretty decently as well, too. We're kick, kicked off 4th of July weekend with a pretty active sports life, sports weekend.
2: It was absolutely wild this July 4th. <laughs> this might be the most exciting July 4th weekend I've had. Um, and and I, I think a lot of it comes down to just the events we had. We had a huge UFC lineup. We had a huge the USFL game that people didn't even think might even not not even happen in a season. Uh well, that might we'll get to that one as well, but mm. you know, on top of that, we have Joey Chestnut doing Joey Chestnut things. I mean, this is this weekend was absolutely wild and then the one thing, the one sport you think has not figured out for July 4th probably was the most disappointing, I'd say.
1: And we got a big name uh, relocating as well too, with quite the quite the storybook start, if you will. So not storybook ending, but a storybook start. So we'll definitely touch on that as well too in the NFL. But I think we're gonna start things off. And we're gonna start things off with the tip off here. The tip off, of course, brought to you by Doctor Squatch. Smell like a man, feel like a champion. Click the link in our bio. Get that special special smelling soap for you or somebody in your life as well too. Definitely don't want to miss out. Plenty of new smells and different deodorants and soaps on the horizon as well too. And Kelsey. You know we normally like to start we let's start off in the octagon today. Let let's start off a little bit different. We normally don't kick things off in the UFC, but this weekend on paper, they did not disappoint. In execution, pretty good, but there's some questions. I consider this weekend's card a sandwich. That the first fight, the first fight of the of the main of the pay-per-view card, okay. It was there was a questionable ending some things that you don't like and never really got going. The last couple fights. Pretty good, but not exactly exciting. But those middle fights, some of those middle fights were absolutely fantastic as well, too. I'm going to go ahead and start with the very first one, the one we kind of talked about a little bit. Sean O'Malley taking the climb into the top 10, taking on Pedro Munoz. Guy who's never been finished by in the UFC, by the way, as well, too. The ultimate, he's basically tougher than a six-pound steak, is how you can kind of <laughs> compare him as well, too. Or a six-dollar steak, not six pounds. You know A six-pound, six-dollar steak, however you want to word it. He, he charges forward This fight was Slow. It didn't really get going either. Like Pedro, the first round is a lot of feeling out process. Second round, Sean started to get a little loose. Pedro started touching with the legs. But then, of course, as per UFC policy, every single UFC card has to have one dramatic eye poke. This one, unfortunately, ended up turning the fight into a no contest. As Sean poked him in, gave him a little bit of an eye poke as well too, and he was not able to continue. There's a lot of steam going after him on that one because Everyone knows what happened with DC in his fights. He's been completely eye-gouged in some fights. Michael Bisman literally fought and won a title missing an eye with a glass eye. This one, a lot of people tried to give Pedro a little bit of pushback, considering he was basically saying, I can't see, before they even asked him. Didn't really give it time. Some people say he was looking for a way out. I say that stuff hurts no matter what. If you get poked in the eye, it's absolutely awful as well, too. But unfortunately, a fight that there was a a lot of juice going into as well, too. Kind of fizzled out early on before it could even get started. It's like as soon as you cracked open the soda pop, it, it was already it was already fizzed out. Yeah, it was definitely the most disappointing,
2: I'd say, of of the weekend, especially one that we had high hopes for. I mean, this was like Sean O'Malley is, is is a great fighter co- coming up, and and you know that fight was set up to be something that is, as you mentioned, I mean, Pedro Munoz six a six dollar stake worth of tough. <laughs> um, I, I mean, drag him through drag him through glass, and he's probably still going to just whoop your butt uh hmm. Type of guy, and and look, it, it was for a guy like that to go out with an eye poke. You're kind of like, hold on now. What's you know, what's, what's up, up with that? <laughs> I it, it didn't feel. It, I won't say it felt fishy, but it definitely was a little odd with with the with the way it happened. And it's just unfortunate that that's the events that that d- develop a, a fight like that. Like that's that's what that fight's going to be remembered for. Is that eye out? It's like, well. But what about the 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 two the, the round and a half before that? Cuz it was a really good fight before that. Like what about that? Like can can we remember that? But no, it was a uh, it's definitely a disappointing way to way to go about it and you know, that was rough as well. But as you mentioned, the other fights in between, you have two two, two KOs. I mean, goodness. Like uh Brian Barber, Barbarina, I mean, knocking out Robbie Lawler. That's a I,
0: I don't know. I
2: feel like from from the outside in, that looks like a very interesting one for me for 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 that to be the the way Robbie Lawler goes out as a knockout
1: by by Barbarina, it was the fight of the night because Robbie actually looked really good. He looked like he looked like he kind of gotten a little bit. He's been, he looked a little old the last couple of fights. This one he looked like he had a little yeah. bit of something back. He's tossing his shots; they weren't. He wasn't just swinging haymakers or being stuck in his shell. <laughs> Brian Barbarina, we talked about a tough five dollar stake. He's the epitome of that as well. Too, he just keeps marching forward. Just finds a way to. He's as gritty as tough. He looks. He looks like the guy who would live in the mountains and live off of. Like chop his own firewood and keep the cow raw by it, basically. And that's kind of how he fights sometimes, too. It's just an absolute grinder as well, too. But I want to point out that other KO, because this was the one that stole the show. Alex Piera stealing the show with a huge left hook knockout over Sean Strickland, the number four ranked middleweight in the world. He's more kind of known as a guy that says dumb things, unfortunately, because he, he's <laughs> honestly compared, a lot of people him to that one character from Grand Theft Auto's name I forget as well, too. The one who's kind oh. of like who lives that lives in the trailer home as well, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a fantastic fighter, but Alex Pierre not only put the lights out early, he put him out with a statement as well, too. Really slow, picked his shots on. People forget he's a world, he is a world champion level kickboxer, one of the best in the world, and most people know him as the guy that beat Israel Adesanya twice in kickboxing, including st- completely knocking him stone cold to the point where he had to have oxygen on him during, at the end of the fight. But this was an this I know they did this on purpose too. You know they made sure they put this fight against the number four ranked guy, which is a huge jump in competition. Alex is six and one right now after the win. He was like five and one going to this fight. They put him on that giant pedestal on this card on purpose because if he won, which he did, they knew what it was going to set up as well. So they knew they were pushing for that Izzy. They were pushing for that fight with Izzy coming up too. And boy did he deliver it that left. I don't know how he manages to throw so much power and so much speed into that left hook as a right-handed fighter too. Like normally the left hook comes like a check off a counter or like following your right hand when you get to torque like your hips as well too. He just decides randomly like chilling, chilling, chilling. I'm throwing it. Then he just whips it. It's a, it is a whip that comes from the side. Like I said of the Indiana Jones straight on his comes <laughs> from the side. It is absolutely, it is beautiful to watch. There's, there's some guys like you look at, there's like, like, uh, Mirko Krokop's left high kick, Conor McGregor's left, left his straight left hand, Anderson Silva's knees, like there you can find different guys, Chuck Liddell's overhand right, his left hook is up there with some of the best of him in the game as well too, and he's, what a thunderous knockout over Sean Strickland as well, and not to mention how big he looked compared to Sean Strickland, Sean Strickland's a smaller-ish middleweight, he doesn't cut a lot of way. Alex made him look like a child when they stood next to each other, I don't know how he makes he looks like he weighs two two of Sean Strickland's as well, too. He was huge in that cage. So that's someone that stole the show from me as well, too. An absolutely brutal knockout. And it sets up, I'm gonna we're gonna circle back to that one because I kind of allude to, but Israel Adesanya getting the coasting W over Jared Cannonier. Now him and Alex Pierre, the quote unquote the one guy that the guy to knockout style bender. It already the story writes itself and Izzy pushed it over the edge with his call out of him after the fight. He's like you already know the fight. And so Looks like Ozpira, you're going to not only jump into the deep end, you're going to jump into the deep end with some, not floaties, but some ankle weights attached to your arms as well, too. It looks like that's going to be the next fight. And you know what? If you hate wrestling, this is the fight for you because I can't see even a pretend takedown taking place in this fight.
2: You know, it's funny you mentioned wrestling, though, because uh, did you see Izzy's entrance uh, with the Undertaker mm-hmm. theme? An absolutely amazing, uh, just trash talk, mind game extraordinary right now from Izzy is comes in with the Undertaker theme with an urn inscribed with his a competitor's name hmm. and with RIP underneath. Already coming in knowing he's going to knock this, or well, not necessarily knock this well, but he's going to take this fight. And it was, you know what? That's that's the type of attitude and stuff that, that I, I, I love about UFC, some, some UFC fighters. Hmm. And that's the reason why me and DC have a love-hate relationship because I wish he would talk better trash. Hmm. He was so good and so dominant, and yet his trash talk made him like a, just a complete buffoon, it, it hmm. felt like. Although I mean, again, watching him, he's one of the greatest of all time. So, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those situations that like I, I I enjoyed the entrance, and then on top of that, the performance on the performance, performances from the night, not just from Izzy, but from all around, is going to be it's going to set up that fun Pereira Izzy fight. I'm I'm really pumped for that one. Is the
1: Absolutely. one I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, tuned to the TV for sure. Absolutely, and the one thing that's kind of I know a lot of people are saying it was a boring fight for Mizzy because he's coasting. He's almost in that Floyd Mayweather s category where he's so masterful, it's so it's so effective, but it's not eye candy. He's just so precise. It's he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't a uh, he doesn't pray and spray, if you will. The those of you played yeah. Call of Duty back in the day, where you going kind to of roll around the corner, spraying your light machine gun, and hoping you get a hit. Basically, he aims and fires. at single shots, maybe single short combinations. They land, they do damage. They get the guy off of him, even if they're not going to put him away. But he will. If you charge into it, he will KO it. We've seen him do it, but people get scared of that, and it makes them a little hesitant. He's not going to push it because he's going to get That's how you get caught. He's the ultimate. He's basically the ultimate computer out there as well, too. He's not quite like how – I know the, a lot of the comparisons are Anderson Silva because they're skinny, athletic strikers, exciting strikers in the same division. And he was inspired by Anderson. Anderson's not a sniper quite like that. Anderson's a killer for better and for worse because he also has the ground game where he has the ability to take people out as well too or is he's the prototypical sniper i don't want to say point fighter as well too because he has the ability to take people but kind of like how floyd was as well too where you'll just touch 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 never going to give up on the defense never going to give you the inch and but he is going to do enough to win if you both just stand there play defense he'll out defense you if you try and go full offense on him his defense is too tight and he will find a way to break through as well too so he's in, at middleweight, especially he is on another level right now in a Floyd-esque level, the way he is picking these guys apart. But we can I want to chill with the Anderson Silva comparisons. He's got a little ways to go with that. And they were different type of fighters just because they're both flashy strikers. There's different types of flashy strikers. Anderson was a flashy killer, where Izzy is a flashy surgeon, if you will, as well. Too it's a lot more maybe like a Tom Brady compared to a maybe like a Drew Brees, something like that as well too, or Tom Brady compared to a patrick mahomes i guess like anderson's probably a little important. patrick mahomes where he'll kill you with those big plays those run rolling to your left throwing a backside across your body 45 yards for a touchdown and double coverage whereas tom brady's gonna pick pluck not gonna miss a pass seven for seven 49 yards touchdown in, in 65 seconds still wins the game still fourth quarter comeback in a two-minute drill still gets it done just a little a lot more methodical a little less pretty whereas anderson like patrick mahomes is going to Pull off some magical Houdini ness that doesn't make any sense. So we can show with those comparisons, everybody. But that doesn't take away from how fantastic he has been as well. So I know Izzy's your favorite guy as well too, and kind of want to get your kind of get your thoughts as well too. Do you think he's almost entering that too good for his own good territory, or do you think maybe he's just maybe bored a little bit as well too? Because this is the first time he's had a new fight, quote unquote, in a while with a bunch of rematches beforehand.
2: Yeah, it's kind of kind of weird, right? It's a, you reach a certain point in in your travels, and you see it a lot more with UFC fighters. They just kind of reach a certain point of just being tread back through the same fighters over and over again. They're just kind of like, man, I want to do something, and he did it, and he did something different as well. He's already done something different in going up to heavyweight and then dropping back down. Um, I honestly, yeah, I think he's at that point in his career where he might be looking at something new. There was, I mean, obviously you, you flash back to this last weekend, and and there in in the house was Vince McMahon and, and the, the WWE team as well lots of talk about Izzy joining the WWE because he loves their entertainment value, he loves their everything they bring. Wouldn't be the first UFC fighter to do so, obviously at the end of their careers they'd like to make that transition, make a lot more money too. Uh definitely doesn't help, does, doesn't hurt anything as well. Um uh, but you also have like guys like well, ladies like Paige Van Zandt that already made the the transition into wrestling. She's in AEW. You have um Lord, Lord Bear, I think is her last name and uh, she she moved into the WWE recently. Um so I don't know. I, I think I think Izzy's definitely probably at that point where he's like, I'm dabbling and looking for something else, but I'm still at the top of the game. So I'm not gonna. I'm not leaving yet. But he is probably bored. Like let's be completely honest. Like this is probably the first time he's like, oh, finally, I get to take somebody on that. Like I'm ready to fight. Like I, I, I want. I have something to prove to somebody. And this is the, probably the first time in I'd say five fights that he's really had this situ- since. You know he was in heavyweight. I, I think this is that heavyweight knockout, um, that, that he has to really make a it, that he has to really like actually
1: work for something. Yeah, since he fought Yom is trying to be the double champ at light heavyweight as well. Too definitely a yeah. first time since that we've seen it where it has that electric presume. And we're gonna see in this net. I think if it is Alex or that next fight, I think I am curious to see what if that what kind of fire that lights on him because you know he's looking forward to shutting that up altogether as well. Too he's even said, I look forward to driving these. Four ounce gloves into his into him as well, too, kind of as a redemption story. But and the last main fight Alex Volkanovsky, Max Holloway, the trilogy this time a lot less close than the last two. The last two were razor close, it was the, the postcard for measuring the first down marker for the Cowboys and Raiders fans trying to find how close they were. This one, a full fledged shutout for the Aussie incredible performance for Volkanovsky saying he wants to move up and challenge Alex Oliveira. I said, let him go for it. He is quote unquote self proclaimed the champion of the Hobbits. With all the guys that he bought he's beat that were smaller in that weight class. So that is an absolute I like the idea of him moving up, let Olivera, his next fight let him let him get out of that one. Let I think because him and Makachev should be a good fight. Let we'll Volkanovsky take the winner of that. It could be fun as well. Too I think he's earned that right. He's run through featherweight three times over and making a case for making his case for climbing that heavyweight goat ladder. So a very, yeah. very fun fight. A very, very fun UFC night as well. Too the fire may not have been traditional fireworks. But it's definitely setting the stage for things to come as well too. It's like the pre-fireworks show, I'd say. But yeah, that was only you, Saturday. That was only Saturday night. That was that. that was a Saturday night tip-off. It was it was the USC event, so it wasn't mm-hmm. even the the meat of it. Exactly. And You kind of mentioned it too. Like that was the that was Saturday, but Sunday you had your own show that you were at as well too, and that was the USFL championship as well too. As we saw, the Birmingham Stallions, the team that has basically dominated throughout most of the season, taking on the Philadelphia Stars and you know what you saw it first, and this was pretty much an absolute banger for the most part as well, too. Even if the score didn't wow. show it early, it definitely showed it late.
2: Yeah, let's start by saying, first of all, 1.5 million people tuned in for this. The best ratings they've had since the inaugural weekend. Mm-hmm. Huge. Absolutely huge for a, for, for a kickoff season for a USFL team, for a USFL league. And, and not just that, but for the future of what the USFL hopes to do. Absolutely huge turnout, and not just that, but 23,000 people turned into the stands in in the brand new stadium Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium, which, by the way, is a beautiful stadium. Absolutely. uh, but it was you know, it was a lot of fun. We we showed up early, obviously, I showed up early for uh, uh, Summer, uh, summer Stock there with the USFL podcast. Our good friend Zach and the ref uh, put that on for a lot of people. We met some Birmingham stallion fans, some Philadelphia Stars fans, some Breakers fans, uh, everybody else as well. But man, this getting to the game, I mean, we got to talk about this. This game was absolutely insane it's it's a weird thing where you can build storylines not just through the season but that also play out through the game and it was the backup quarterbacks being ready to play was the story of both of these teams regular season getting there. case cook is for the stars once he took over man these stars took off but then for the stallions getting jamar smith over alex Mago, at getting him settled in with his offense who by the way he played for skip holtz in college he got them to that incredible one loss season all the way to the championship game both guys go down with injury at a crucial point in this game led by the backups in the final 2 minutes but the crazy thing is case cook is took shot after shot after shot in this game he took a he took a helmet helmet, the helmet shot and he got right back up and his first thing was he ran to the sideline laughing asking about and he's mic'd up so this is this is like this is great for tv asking about hey are my teeth okay i have a wedding in a couple days like you know, it was very hilarious, very funny. Uh, unfortunately, though, he did have to leave with a broken fibula, is what the reports say. So that was unfortunate. But this game was full of big plays back and forth. It finishes 33 30, but honestly, that doesn't tell the whole story. We have Bo Scarborough with a 36 yard touchdown run, Jordan Sewell for the Stars with a 25 yard touchdown catch, Marlon Williams with a 41 yard touchdown catch with less than a minute or less than a minute after Jordan Sewell's touchdown catch. Bo Scarborough had a 70 yard run to set up a kick, a field goal attempt at at a short field goal at the end of the first half to make it 20 to nine at the end of the first half. So 20 to nine at the end of the first half, this game comes back in the second half, Dexter Williams, 34 yard catch on a screen pass that set up Sewell's Second touchdown catch on Philly's first drive. And then down the road after a bunch of back and forth, there's it ends up the stallions down, down on the, on the, on the uh, scoreboard, old scooby right shark dog himself 46 yard pick six with under three minutes to go kj costello kind of oversold this one goes yeah. right to scooby right and he just takes to the house absolutely fantastic game that was the end of ends up being the decider but it wasn't that was the end of the game i mean honestly there was back and forth kj costello ends up delivering another dime later on uh, for a touchdown and this is everything the usfl could have hoped for literally everything they could have hoped for after a, what is a great season in birmingham not only that, but the Birmingham stallions then come out and put a showcase on for how to play football and the Philadelphia Stars, a team that was struggling at best uh, against the run to be in the finals, continue their their streak of being the only the the number one of the teams in the USFL finals every year of the USFL final or USFL championship. and man, it was insane. this is like this is as good as as good as the writers at fox and 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 uh, NBC could have hoped for. Like they if they put if they had wrote a script to the season, it couldn't have been better than what happened.
1: Like it was absolutely fantastic. The one thing that kind of surprised me is like I do mention everything you said. A fantastic game, so much back and forth, so many different storylines that you could follow from a different angle as well. I was surprised to see Victor Bolden Jr. as the game MVP as well. Not that he had a good game, six catches, sixty-four yards, a touchdown, some big-time plays throughout it as well too. But I was kind of surprised too. Like he wasn't the leading receiver on his team necessarily. And, obviously, it wasn't going to go to a quarterback because, I mean, their quarterbacks are almost have dead even when you have to split like that. But there was also Paul Scarborough had himself a pretty nice game controlling. I mean, aver- he was average like 10 and a half yards at carry. I mean, he, he yeah. was fantastic. He looked like he's back at Alabama, honestly, terrorizing young college kids trying to have to tackle that massive man at running back. So, I was, not that he deserved, it, but I was surprised to see Victor Bolton Jr. And, especially, USFLs tends to be more of a run-centric league as a whole, too. And then you see a receiver get the MVP in the, in the inaugural championship as well too. So that was kind of an interesting twist of fates for me.
2: Yeah, it's you know honestly it's more down to it's less about the the yardage that he gained and more about the plays that he made during the game. Yeah, he only had like six receptions, but they were huge, absolutely mm-hmm. huge for the for the for the, the, the in the, as far as the content of the game goes, as far as as far as developing the lead for the or getting the lead back for the Stallions and not just that, but keeping the lead and and the big plays like that. That's why. It is very interesting. This is, was, was, I'll agree. I thought Bo Scarborough would have been the guy, but in crunch time, they got away from Bo Scarborough and they went to the little short screen passes to Vic Bolden with Mago at quarterback. And that was, that was the, really the difference in the game is is that choice to go to Bo Scarborough or go away from Bo Scarborough. I think if they had stayed with Bo Scarborough, that 20 to 9 lead is probably closer to 40 to 14 at the end of the mm-hmm. game. Um, despite Case Cook is his heroics on the mm-hmm. other side. I think, I think Bo Scarborough was just too much to handle and, but they got away from it, and that's when Vic Bolden stepped up and was like, hey, I, you know what? Yeah, we we let, we dropped the ball, but give it back to me. I got you guys. It's like, don't worry. And, you know, it was him also in the return game that, that helps to set up some of these drives as well, and that's what why he ends up the, the player of the game. But, yeah, I, I agree. I, he definitely wasn't my number one pick. I think, obviously, my number one is Bo Road. Number two probably would have been Scooby right with the pick six there at the end of the game. Um I'm not sure when the voting happened for the MVP, though. That's the big thing is, like, it doesn't happen right at the end of it, like, you know, at the very end after the average hits all zeros, it happens sometime during the game. And I think that's the why Vic Bolton Jr. ends up
1: MVP. You did mention the heroics of Case is which I also have to point out because, A, he was not expected to be their guy at the start of the season. Yeah. He was more known as the guy that we pointed out as the only quarterback we ever seen get a targeting call and get ejected for in college football, which I will say every time we mention his name, he yep. came in, he stepped in when he had to, and, He's been absolutely sensational from basically the moment he said go. He has been absolutely incredible getting it done through the air with his legs, whatever needs to be done. You mentioned a fantastic game for him, three touchdowns as well, too, putting on an absolute clinic through the air. So he's definitely, he's found himself a career and he looks like he will be the starter for, for years to come for the, if not this team, which I'd be surprised if they let him go or for any team in the USFL too. He made himself a name during the back half of this season.
2: Yeah. The biggest, the biggest worry is how he recovers with this with broken leg basically Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, you, you wish the best for somebody. You, you, this is never, whether you're a Stallions fan, whether you're not a Stars fan, whether you're anybody else, you, maybe for some reason you hate Northern Arizona University mm. and you hate Case Cookus, or maybe you were the guy that Case Cookus got the targeting call on. I don't know. Mm. But you don't wish this upon anybody. Um, this was, like, just the performance he had and it go down in the way he went. It was very, it, it seemed very innocuous until you watch the replay and you see his leg bent backwards and just like, oh, no. Mm. Um, and, yeah, when you hear the reports of the broken fibula, like, man, that sucks. Not just because, like, he's playing great, but also the man has a wedding in, a, like, a couple of days. Like, that's just miserable. Like, you're going to be in wedding on a crutch. Uh, I feel bad for him. But, um, yeah, no, it's like you 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 hope for the best and, and see what he can come back with because one of the big things is his movement in the pocket. And, you know, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen a quarterback go down the broken leg and come back and be just fine. Obviously, I look at Aaron Rodgers as the pinnacle of, hey, he went down to the broken fibula, came back, and he's been great ever since. Um, but, you know, there's been some that, on the on the flip side, don't come back well from that injury. So uh, that is one that you just have to watch and make sure his rehab and everything comes back fine. And, like, the you know, the scary story is Alex Smith with a broken fibula. Hopefully it never ends up that way. And that's, Absolutely. you know, I mentioned that because that was how it started. You know, it started with a, a, a very innocuous tackle and, and his leg bent backwards, a couple breaks in his leg, and then infections t- 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 took place. And we all know the rest of that Alex Smith story. So with Case Cocus, we just hope you know the recovery goes well and he gets back on the field. And yeah, absolutely. If he gets back on the field and he could be just like he is today, or well, was it the championship game in the beginning of the championship game? Absolutely, he has a career ahead of him.
1: Absolutely as well too. Well, we're gonna go from one quarterback injury to another quarterback who sustained an injury as well, too. But as but they looks like they'll be getting a new stars. That will we'll do it for our tip off. Now we're gonna head into our main event, the main event. Of course, brought to you by In the Clutch Apparel. Click link in our bio. Use code Highlow Sports. Get yourself some high quality sports gear for a reasonable price as well. So you definitely want to check that out. Some a uh, definitely different take on sports apparel as well. too. it, we've. Mentioned it, Baker Mayfield. The saga is over as Baker and the Browns have finally put the stamp on their divorce. Baker is heading to the NFC South, where he is traded to the Panthers for a conditional fifth-round pick that could turn into a fourth-round pick, and even cutting some of his salary, which I thought was a surprising part of this. So, the Browns will take will pay ten million. Panthers will pay about five, and then three million of it Baker agreed to trim off. So, a whole lot to process there in a very very quick. If the deal. So felt like going to take forever, take forever, take forever, no never gonna happen, never going anywhere. Snap. It's done just like that. What are your initial thoughts, Baker? Now heading to the Carolina Panthers at a quote unquote discount, too.
2: Yeah, I mean, 4.85 million is reportedly how much they're actually going to be paying him this season. So uh I mean, look, I think that's a huge, a huge boost to a quarterback core there in Carolina that you're you're a little worried about, uh, hmm. to say the least. I I mean, obviously one of the quarterbacks used ghosts, the other quarterback has never seen. Anything, um, he's seen Lane Kiffin eating his popcorn on the sideline mm-hmm. at this point in time. Uh, so Baker is a very interesting prospect in that offense. I, again, I got a flashback to Robbie Anderson's comments before in the in the early season. He's like, we don't need that guy. Well, Robbie, he's there now. How are you gonna how are you gonna smooth this one out, guys? And here's the thing, Baker, huge locker room guy. That's never been a question. The guy is a huge locker room guy. He he is buddy buddy with everybody, and that's kind of the downfall is. He's also buddy buddy with everybody, whereas Tom Brady, yeah, he's friendly, but Tom Brady is a driver of men. He is a leader, and he he kind of he leads by staying away a little bit. Like he keeps him close enough, but then most of the players, like how many times have we seen Tom Brady being left hanging? Like you know, that's kind of his his mo- his motif. So he's he is not like. And then with Baker, he is all in all the time with all his all all the guys and. And that's the downside. He's a linebacker mentality at a, as a quarterback. So we'll see how he does in Carolina. Carolina fans are going to love him because that's literally their mantra of the key pounding. Is he is literally just that type of guy. It, it's just going to be very interesting with that offense. I mean, obviously, I don't know if he starts, truthfully, uh, to begin with. I, I don't know how that works out or whether he starts part time, whether he starts full time, whether he comes in after Matt Corral has nothing going for him. Like, I don't know. I honestly don't know what's going to happen here. I do think. The one benefactor for for the Panthers here is probably going to be uh, Curtis Samuel, or not? Sorry, not Curtis Samuel. Goodness gracious! Why'd my brain he just shut it. off? Thank you. DJ Moore
1: is the one you're looking for.
0: <laughs>
2: yes, I was like, I, I'm like, wait, i I know the number because he, you know. And anyways, uh, yeah, yeah, DJ Moore is going to be the big benefactor, and not for his down football, but for the short, quick routes and everything. Now, um, and also CMC is going to benefit for that out of the backfield. But yeah, this is very interesting. But a a huge a huge boost in the in, in for for the Panthers as far as just getting somebody and getting somebody cheap uh, for the for the Browns. I mean, I still think you could should have kept him. I, I mean, but then again, evidently reports are coming out now that the NFL is admitting that it's unprecedented to ask for a suspension for Deshaun for a year, which normally means that this suspension is going to be six to seven games, if that. So, I mean, there's, this is a situation where six, seven games that Jacoby were set, you can handle. Um, and that's why they traded Baker. Yeah, I don't know. This is a – it's very unique. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to give a – like, it doesn't change anything for me for either team, really. Like, it just it, – because I, I, I don't know how Baker's going to perform this season. And for the Browns, we all kind of expected Baker not to step field on there. I was really hoping he would just because it would be a great, resumptive story. But, yeah, I think this is just
1: – it is what it is at the end of the day, I feel like. I guess I'm the anomaly because I kind of like the move for Baker. I know there's a lot of talk of him going to Seattle. Seattle's a kind of the remnants of a Russell Wilson offense. I don't know how – I mean, sure, it's fun to throw bombs to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett 50 yards down the field as well, too. And for the final four games, they learned how to run the ball a little bit with Rashad Penny, but they're kind of in a rebuild flip on its head mode as well, too. Like, they don't have a passing game that complements Baker necessarily as well, too. It's two bombs away heavy. Like, they need – they need to kind of rebuild things a little bit. If they can get Noah Fant involved, that'd be great as well, too. That's There's still some work to be done there, the offensive line's in shambles. I look at some of the other teams, like there was, excuse me, talk of Atlanta maybe, they got a lot of work to do. So, that, that, you yeah, know, that, if you're bigger, you, you don't want to go there quite. I mean, sure, it's great to throw it to Kyle Pitts every play, but missing and Drake London as well, too. But maybe next year when Calvin Ridley comes through, maybe you roll back in as well, too, as if Desmond Ritter doesn't take off there. I kind of like the Carolina one because obviously the offensive line, it was bad last year. It was really, really bad. He's going to miss that Cleveland offensive line. But they did do some pretty decent job in the offseason trying to rebuild it, bringing in guys like Iki If He is as good as a lot of people say. He should be including myself, who is a big fan of him. That is going to help them out a lot. You mentioned Christian McCaffrey for the one month that he's able to play. That's a dynamic running back <laughs> that he's accustomed to. That keeps like the cream Hunt and Nick Chubb put together in one. And then you do have Chuba Hubbard and Deontay Foreman they brought in as well, too, so you do have some depth there. DJ Moore's... Considering the injuries Odell had to get, was dealing with in Cleveland as well, too, DJ Moore's might be the best receiver he's ever played with in the NFL. Just because he didn't get the best Odell, and if he did, well, then the DJ Moore's the second best receiver. Whatever point is, he's yeah. fantastic. Robbie Anderson, kind of the one of the premier burners in the game. We'll leave it that yeah. way as well. He's a fantastic burner as well, too. Let's not forget Terrence Marshall, the receiver out of LSU. That's another six foot three, four four running target as well. Oh, and the familiar face of. Rashard Harleywood Higgins as well too, someone that he knows very very well from Cleveland as well. So, I think it's an underratedly good fit as well too. I think he's got weapons there. He's got Matt Rule's an offensive minded coach as well too. They got a, we'll see what he has as a head coach because it's not been pretty so far necessarily. You got a young defense, a prom, future premier defense. So guys like Jeremy Chin, J.C. Horn, Derek Brown, Brian Burns, the list goes on and on. They got the, the Shaq Thompson. They got some studs on defense. And I think there We saw it early last year, before some of the injuries kicked in. They're going to keep building. And it, the the biggest thing too is the NFC, frankly, kind of sucks this year compared to what we've yeah. seen in the last previous years. Like, there's Tom oh, Brady. Is- they're like they're up there. Then there's the Rams, obviously, right there as well too. Then there's kind of a drop off with everyone else because the Packers. I have no idea what's going to happen now that Aaron Rodgers throwing the children. He's already stubborn enough <laughs> as is with adults. You have got the Cowboys, your Cowboys. Well, we'll see how they do outside the NFC East. We'll leave it at that for now. We'll just leave it at that. There's no more Russell Wilson, Seattle. The 49ers, what's going on with that quarterback situation? I mean, what's good? We'll see. Is it Jimmy? Is it Trey? I don't know what it is to this day. I don't know what's going on there. The Cardinals, they got to learn to play a, a full season. Like they yeah. have not, they have played eight, they've played 16 games in two seasons of decent football, but with eight games each of kind of falling apart. There's a giant gaping hole in the NFC pretty much after those top three teams. and You know, I'm not saying they're going to be that fourth team, but as far as making a wild card run, Baker could stay healthy. can be your favorite term, game manager Baker.
0: Game manager
1: Baker. Control the offense, throw the slants, throw the occasional fade route, move the chains, let that defense work. Pick on those bad NFC teams that you play. I think it it could work. I really think it could work. This is contingent on him not being a linebacker, a quarterback, of course. He's got to kind of reel that in and play like the back half of 2020 where it was very – you can get loose as a game manager still. You could throw five touchdowns a game as a game manager. You just aren't the focal point of the offense necessarily. It doesn't all run through you, but that doesn't mean you can't go off sometimes. And I think there will be opportunities for him to go off, especially me. He played the you play the Falcons twice. That's that's good for you as well too. Yeah. Saints Saints defense has been fantastic, but they are getting old. People are starting to have to go and we gotta see how they bounce back offensively as well, too. Like we gotta see how Jameis gets back healthy. Alvin Kamara, is how long how many games is he gonna play? Is Michael Thomas ever going to run a slant again? We have to wait. We have things to wait and see on with that as well too. So, I, I think it might. Honestly, I think it's the best fit for him when you look at teams that needed a quarterback to where he could go. I know some people are trying to say they're the the Panthers are the worst situation in the NFL besides Cleveland as far no. as quarterback goes. Like, no, that's probably the best. That's a very friendly situation, and your competition is Sam Darnold, who's basically played himself out of league at this point. Their Panthers are just stuck with him because they picked up his 20 or fifth year option and no one is even trading for him. It was hard enough to trade for Baker with that up to 20 option. And Matt Corral, who I think Matt Corral can play for you next year, but I don't, we both had him as our QB one QB two this year. He's just not ready to play this year. I don't think you throw him in there, especially when you're Matt Rule and you're playing for your job. There's a lot of, there's something to be done there for your, if you're the, if you're the Panthers, there's some noise to be made there. And I think you can't quite make that with Matt Corral yet. So I think, if you're baker, this is a fantastic shot if you have a bad season this one is completely on you at this point, honestly as well too unless everybody takes a dramatic step back from an already lottery team as it is but i think it's yeah. a great opportunity for him to show like hey i'm not trash honestly
2: no yeah i think you're exactly right and i'm gonna i'm gonna take this as a segue into our next next category but is baker where does baker rank in in, in the rankings do you think baker is a 15 and above quarterback or is he a 15 or below? Because what we're going to get to talk about is, is going to be the 10 worst quarterbacks we have going into next season. But is Baker one of them or is he something better for you?
1: Yes and no. It all There's a lot of depends in there as well, too, because let's say Jacoby Brissett's the starter for the Browns. I think he's better than Jacoby, but he's not better than Deshaun. So that's where it kind of depends as well, too, with some of those situations. You look at the Steelers, him and Mitch Trubisky, I think he's a little better than Mitch Trubisky. I can't compare him to Kenny Pickett because I haven't seen Kenny Pickett throw an NFL pass. So there's a few of those situations as well too. Like there's Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Is he better than Trevor Lawrence? Well, so far you can't really say no. But I mean, Trevor Lawrence yeah. has been playing with two hands tied to his legs at this point so far with Urban Meyer and squad. So there is some there's a there are question marks in there as well too. And by the way, I mentioned that Jacobi Brissett. This is perfect because now Baker gets to play the Browns Week One. This is absolutely perfect as well too. A, he, he, the only thing that'd been better is if he played. Whatever, whenever Deshaun gets back off his suspension, that was the first game back for Deshaun. that's was the only thing that would have been better. But you know what? I
2: mean, there's a possibility there is no suspension for Deshaun. So,
1: you know what? It might just be then. So, like, there's a whole lot to look forward there as well, too. But I, I love that second so kickoff season. But I'm just going to go with my top. I'm going to go with five of the worst quarterback situations heading into 2020. I'll let you take your five as well, too. We'll pick, we'll go for five each. So, okay. For me, the worst one right now is Atlanta. And that's not a shot at Marcus Mariota, but we have not seen him as a starter in like four years. We've seen him as a designated QB sneak guy, a designated speed option guy. Falcons are rebuilding completely. I do like Drake London a lot. I like Kyle Pitts a lot. Cordell Patterson, that was a fun redemption story last year. He's He found a niche as a running receiver running back, finally. I don't like a whole lot else there, though. There is a lot of holes in that team that is rebuilding. There's a reason they went out and got Matt Ryan. There's a reason they were trying to see if they can maybe pull into Deshaun and just let him carry them more or less since 25. You could build off of that as well, too. This is going to be a rough season for Atlanta, so I'm putting they're one of the worst ones. I look at the Texans. I like Davis Mills. It's a it's fun, but he still – he had some moments where it was like, wow, that was – the bar was set low because it's Davis Mills, unfortunately. And it was yeah. – he exceeded the bar, but the bar was so low, and we still have a lot more to see. If it if he can kind of play to the potential that his neck shows as well, too, if it, if we can see that kind of growth in him, like his neck, I think we got something working there. The other one I'm looking at is the other team that Baker was rumored to go to. I'm looking at Seattle. Drew Locke, there's – you and I both like, and we both think there's something there, but it has not been a good start and it's sometimes hard for those young quarterbacks when you have such a rough first few years. Partially self-induced, partially the coaching, partially the situation. It's hard to get out of that necessarily too. Sometimes you're almost just battle-hearted into a pulp. So I'm curious if you can get out of that. Geno Smith, you don't want him playing more than two games if you're Seattle. Jacob Eason, we have no idea. We've seen him throw like two regular season passes and one is picked off by Jalen Ramsey. So like there, yeah. there's no idea there as well too. So there's those four. And then the fifth one I'm going to go with, I'm going to go back to the Steelers I mentioned just because Mitch Trubisky, two-time playoff quarterback. Also very, very rough and was kind of, that was kind of led by a very bad NFC one year. And then a Khalil Mack super loaded and Eddie Jackson loaded defense the other year. He's honestly very Baker-esque. He's a little more mobile, but not quite as good of a passer. But Pittsburgh has a weird ability to always have a winning record as well, too. Mike Thomas never had a losing record, no matter what, even with the ghost of Ben Roethlisberger, a quarterback but last year. So maybe we'll see how that plays. Maybe Mitch has kind of that resurrection after hanging out with Josh Allen for a year. But that's kind of where So Baker's just he's the cut above those just because I think we've seen his highs are a little bit worse. His lows are just as bad, if not worse than any of those guys. Like so 2019 was terrible. Last year was terrible. Granted, injury induced with some of the decision making and just opening his mouth. Among other yeah, things, as yeah. well too. so he's kind of right there. He's, he's a slightly above that bottom that bottom five or so. I just wanted to, and there's a few that I don't know you're going to name that he's probably above equal to as well too, but it is definitely an upgrade. And I think on the Panthers, I think he has a chance to kind of prove like, Hey, I'm, I'm even, I'm i I'm a top 15 quarterback again. Kind of like he was at the end of 2020. I think he does have the ability to propel himself up there. Okay. So
2: recapping, you have Mitch and the Steelers, Davis Mills and the Texans. The Falcons, whatever their situation ends up being, probably Mariota. And then Desmond Ritter as well,
1: too. I'm still... Yeah, I don't want him to play this year much, honestly, if I'm the Falcons.
2: Yeah, and then the Seahawks with Drew Locke. And who was your fifth one?
1: And for the fifth one, who was the fifth one? I had The fifth one I had was... Did I not... Maybe I didn't name a fifth one. I don't think... I think you did. That's why I was like. I was counting, and I was like, I don't remember a fifth. Well, then the fifth one I'm going to go with, I'm going to say he's a little bit better than Carson once with Washington Commanders. I think he's going to be a little bit better, simply because... When he's not injured, I think, and he's playing game, he's more likely to n- to make better decisions to play game. Andrew Baker than Carson Wentz is to be Carson game Andrew Carson. Carson has a lot more natural ability. He's like faster, stronger. Um, he makes a lot more what the heck plays, but I think as a whole, Baker's less likely to just do something absolutely stupid that loses the game. If that makes sense, he's almost he's just hindered by lack of talent in some spots where Carson has. You could put him in a top five to seven category as far as talent. His decision making is just. Do we want to say questionable? Like, is that is that yeah, fair? I feel like an understatement. Yeah, but the Ron, the Ronald Weasley impersonator that we will see for the playing quarterback for the Commanders, I'm going to give Baker a slight edge above him, but not by much as well too. Because I also know there's a few others that you want you want to mention in there as well too.
2: Yeah, you know, actually, you hit a lot of you know, the 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 five that you hit. I honestly feel like those were for me. Those actually are my bottom five, like the absolute bottom of the bottom five especially when he is my bottom of the bottom barrel. Um, as far as who's starting right now, Mariota just behind, just above him by, by a smidge. Uh, we're not talking by much. Um, sneaking up there, like for me, I think one of the top 10 worst uh, situations is if the Panthers don't go with Baker to start with. Uh, if the, the Panthers Darnold. do start with Darnold and do start with, or do, do start with Matt Crow just because they know the offense, I do think that comes in the top 10. If Baker is the starter, He's just outside the top ten for me. He's like eleven. So, I just to answer my own question from earlier, I'll go ahead and that's my my take on that. If Baker is starter, just outside the top top ten as far as worse going into next season. Um, so, I'm going to leave him out. I'm going to say I'm going to say they do start with Baker. I'm going to say they make the smart decision, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, leaving him out. I got Trey Lance in San Francisco. I do not think that's a good fit. I do not think he works there right now, and I think it's too early still. I still don't like Trey Lance for this offense. Debo Samuel asked for a trade for a reason. Mm-hmm once Trey Lance was the announced starting quarterback. So I'm going to keep standing by that. That's a big reason why I don't like this Trey Lance situation. Um, now I hope he proves me wrong. I really do. Uh, next I'm going to go to uh, up to the New York G men. I got go to go the giants um, and, and Daniel Jones. I just, he has a lot to prove that he hasn't proven. And this is going to be his prove it season period point blank. But right now he is in that bottom 10 range. Um, and I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to add his city mate, his stadium mate here in Zach Wilson. And the only reason I'm adding Zach Wilson in there is because it's just the Jets themselves have a lot of holes. There's not – he's still – it's still a team where I think they could surprise somebody, but right now on paper, they pla- plan to be a, t- a bottom 10 team. And I don't think Zach Wilson can do anything to help that. I think he's just going to have to ride the wave on this one. Um, and, and let's be honest, you're going to be a run first team with Michael Carter, which he showed in last year.
1: And so personal. Zach –
2: yeah, exactly, and Brees Hall. Oh, man. That, I mean, that's a two-headed monster right there, and Zach Wilson's going to be probably more running than he is going to be throwing deep balls. But he does have a good situation that can surprise people. I just don't think it's good enough to get him out. And this, if I'm ranking this one, he's like 22, 23 right here on a top on a, on a bottom 10 ranking. So it's not that far out of the top like possibility that he gets out of there. Um, and then you obviously mentioned the Seahawks with, with Drew Locke. Uh, I'm going to go – this one, you mentioned him, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is, yeah, uh, he's up here. Um, and, and it's more down to just, again, the team. Like, the team is so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, I don't know what you do in Jacksonville, but I, this team is just is, is so bad to me, and I don't know what you can do to solve it. I don't think there is anything you can do to solve it. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I think that's just a situation you're going to have to ride and die by. And I think the last one... Man, it's not that he's bad. It's just that, again, the team around it, I don't know. Uh, maybe he is bad. I don't. God, this one hurts. Uh, Justin Fields, I'm going to say, is is going to be a top 10 worst quarterback heading into 2022. He is going to be 22, though, on this list. So we're not saying he's 32. He's 22 on this list of starting quarterbacks. And, again, this just goes down to that offensive line. That second year, we always see a sophomore step back for a lot of players so if he can avoid that and he can prove me wrong i'm so happy about that um but yeah it is as of right now i'm gonna put justin fields there and i'm probably gonna catch some heat for that one but i think i think justin fields kind of rounds out our, our my the top 10 in my eyes for uh worst quarterbacks ending in 2022
1: i will say it feels like out of everybody we named him and trevor lawrence have the least amount of true help it feels like as well too it feels like they're yeah. the ones with the biggest uphill battle as well too and Maybe they prove us wrong. Maybe some players break out. Maybe that Christian Kirk signing proves to be genius and the Jaguars have somebody yeah. who can get open. Maybe something happens. Maybe Travis Etienne and Robinson can make it work, something like that as well, too. Maybe we see James Robinson get the ball again. Who, who knows? Yeah, as I mean, well too. Really. The one guy that I'm surprised neither one of us mentioned, too, and I'm going to say why I didn't mention him. Neither one of us mentioned Jared Goff in there as well, too. The Lions starting quarterback who basically infamously was said, you're not, we don't want you. We want Matthew Stafford. You're terrible. And they go win a Super Bowl as soon as they get rid of him. The reason I don't have Jared Goff right here, I have him slightly above the Baker situation is they're the same player to me. Really? They're the exact same player. The difference is I think Jared Goff is a little less likely to step outside of his roots. I guess that that makes sense. Like we always joke around no superhero Baker game manager Baker. That's kind of, that might. I think that might've been your calling card for a few weeks there as well. It too. was like that. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, like, I've, I've said it a thousand me. times. Exactly. We never have to worry about that. Jared Goff. Like you never have to be like Jared Goff. No, he stays within himself. And when he's when the offense is clicking, we've seen him throw for 460 and have one of the the best quarterback games of all time that 2018 game against the Vikings, where I still he was throwing absolute laser beams all over the place. But he's not as likely to get out of it because I think if you put Baker on the lines, do we expect him to win more than like five or six games? Like, do you think Baker climbed him out of that hole necessarily? Do you think he do you think substituting him and Jared Goff, do you see there's a big change necessarily?
2: I okay, so maybe I'm I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna this is my hot take for the season already. I think the Lions actually win eight games this season.
1: Okay, let me so, rephrase that. You think they I, get the I, number of games they win changes if you put in Baker over Jared Goff?
2: Actually, I think they, it gets worse. Honestly, I really do think it would get worse if you put Baker into that system just because of the system. Um, but I do think to your point, it would be marginal. I mean, mm-hmm. it'd be like a point five difference. I don't think it'd be like a lot, but I think I do think it'd be like a half game difference
1: exactly and it's like if you put jared goff on that 2020 browns team they go over to the playoffs and win a playoff game because it's the exact same thing he did with todd Gurley a couple of years before that when they re- leaned on the run game the running back the running situation is awesome off the play action just able to jared goff throws a pretty deep ball when he has time and when he gets the setup he can he can throw lasers he's been in the playoffs a couple of times led once by the defense once by their sean McVay transcendent offense and however you want to describe as well too i think He's, neither one of them is really elite. Neither one of them is like that dude where we're putting him in a top five or ten category, but they're both middle of the pack you can win games with. Like, they're both – They're both. I think we both agree they're not bottom five quarterbacks right now So well, yeah. too. maybe even not bottom eights. They might be in that bottom ten-ish category, but there's there's so many young guys we have to figure out. There's five rookies from last year and then, like, three from the year before that as well, too. Like, there's so many young guys where the yeah. jury's still out on as well. You mentioned – and-, and those guys. There's Jalen Hurts in there, too. We just There's so many guys yeah. we have question marks about.
2: Well, there's still Jimmy and we didn't mention Jimmy. And that's because we don't know if he's going to start this season. Like we don't, we like it's assumption that Trey Lance will start for San Francisco, which means tr- Jimmy will go somewhere else. But where does Jimmy go? Like what, what position, what situation does he go to in the NFL that he could succeed in and be a, be a quarterback? And that's another one. I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to put him on there. Say so, like, but I would say if he's a guy that maybe slides himself into this bottom 10 list, depending on what situation he goes to as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think the difference with Jared, Jared Goff is I I think I Jared Goff wasn't a a ship out because he was bad. Jared Goff was a ship out because we got a better option in Matt Stafford. It's like that we talk about this rare opportunity some teams get where you have a 10 to 15 quarterback, right? That middle of the middle of the middle of the way quarterback, not bad, not great, can do it all but doesn't do it all great. But then you have the opportunity to get a top 10 solidified quarterback in his entire career. And you take that, and that's exactly what the Rams did with Jared Goff. Like this, shipped out Jared Goff, and and Baker when he was healthy, I'd say is in that same range of Jared Goff, where like I don't, I say ten to fifteen, I'd probably mean closer to about twelve to eighteen range, is really like where you where you look at it, and I think they they do the same thing. Like you're exactly right, they're the same type of player when it comes down to it. I think Jared Goff does provide a little more downfield, uh, than than Baker, but obviously having the height advantage does help him out. Um, he also isn't stupid enough to try to linebacker his way through uh through a defense. Um, and, and I do think he has a little bit more gamer gamesmanship than, than Baker does Jared Goff as well. As far as just that, I call it the Drew Brees effect, like how Drew Brees just seemed to make stupid plays that worked. That's like, it's scrambling and like turning around, like spitting off a defender and then making a two yard gain out of nothing. That's kind of Jared Goff as well. He'll, he'll, he's been hit so many times. He's learned how to gain positive yards while still getting hit. So it's it's something I think Jared Goff does a little differently. But I I do like Jared Goff a little more. Uh, but, yeah, it is. It's a situation where he could easily plummet in the top 10 or potentially giving all his weapons coming up this season, produce himself into a top 10 situation.
1: Interesting. And there's one of the quarterback neither one of us mentioned. I want to get your t- your thoughts on it as well, too. Neither one of us mentioned Tua or the Dolphins as well, too. And the reason I personally left him out is I think, Tua it's kind of the jury slide. I know it's a, he's had a this is his third year now. Normally, the jury's not necessarily out at this point, but it doesn't... Man, what a mess he's had to go through early on as well, too. Like basically, his first year, they used him as a switch hitter, as like a, a relief pitcher, They just, and they basically yeah. immediately were trying to yank him at all costs. Him and Brian Flores clearly did not work. I don't care what anyone right. says. They were clearly not bros. Then last year, the injuries as well as the... Uh, he has a winning record as a starting quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. He has His numbers are pretty decent when he's out there. The problem is keeping him out there, and he looks... Sometimes he looks a little almost... I don't want to say he looks like he's a, like a smaller kid playing with grown adults sometimes, just because he's really fr- he's really skinny as well too, and he's not quite as fast at the NFL level. And we haven't seen him just like rifle bombs to, to like he used to do with Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle, and all those guys back in Alabama. We haven't seen him be able to take over games yet. Which maybe we do see it this year. Now he has Tyreek in them, but I think this is kind of the year where I judge too. If he gets it going, if he looks like that guy that was drafted in the top five for a reason, he's clearly better. But if yeah, he's yeah. not able to make it work, and we see the same old song and dance, I'd take Baker over him at that point as well, too. I think this is kind of that. Right now, they're almost just like, I, I don't know. I I just I don't know what to do It's yeah. so you. have like seventeen games of watching him play at this point under a hellacious situation, which your coach blatantly has said he hates you, basically.
2: E- exactly, and I think that's a big part of it. Like we we, we kind of give Baker or to a pass here in this situation because he really had a co- he had coordinators who didn't even want him on the team. So uh, that's that tells you anything. And and despite all that, still averages in his, in his career 13 and eight, 66 uh, percent completion rate. Uh, biggest issue is his touchdown to touchdown to picks. I mean, 20 looking at 27 to 15, not great by any means, but at the same time, you're positive.
1: 2-1, <laughs> so, oh, which is kind of the mark you want to go for.
2: But at the same time, it's yeah, it's, it's going to be this is going to be like they didn't do anything to do him favors. We all I've talked about it ad nauseum. Tua is not a, a a just step back and throw it deep type of guy. He is a play action. He's going to hit you on your short routes on, in perfect timing. He's a dink and dump. He is, that is what he does his best. His curls and slants are his best routes to throw. He does throw a very pretty deep ball when he gets the opportunity, but the problem is it's a 50-yard deep ball and not a
1: 60-plus-yard deep ball. And it's a route, it's not a 40-yard hole shot like Justin Herbert throws behind his back for fun necessarily. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Like he's not gonna, he's not gonna throw it from a falling down base. He he has to step into his throw to get any distance and depth on it. And and that's the thing, is he's he's not also had a pocket either to really do these things with. And that was the difference between him and Ryan Fitzpatrick, why they kept switching him out. It's like, hey, we need the deep ball, we need the the line drive 20 plus yard ball. We don't need a 10-yard you know, lollipop being thrown. Like that's the, that was the difference. And I'm being mean by saying lollipop because he actually does put some zip on his short throws. He just doesn't have any zip beyond 20. And that's just, it is what it is. Honestly, at this point in time, that hip injury, this is where it comes into play with his throwing motion and, 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 but it is a situation that he's still not that bad. Like he's average. I mean, honestly, Tua is the definition of average right now in the NFL in my eyes.
1: And he's he's not great. He's not bad. And there's been no running game whatsoever to speak of as well. So it's even worse than you see with the Chargers or the Bengals, the two teams I picked because those are kind of his, his QB class running mates at this point. Yeah. Those teams both, especially the years were known for having bad offensive lines as well too. But they at least somehow could run the ball. Austin Eckler could get things going. Joe Mix can get things going. They have, they, have, they have even more to work with as well too. So I think too, we agree on that one too, was could go up. he can go he can plummet at the same time this is year we found if he gets hurt again or something just something goofy happens where it's the same song and dance not even saying he has to make the playoffs because the afc is loaded but he has to show something like we have to visually see something to have quote-unquote have faith moving forward otherwise he could drop into this bottom 10 real quick or he can ascend and be on the cusp of that top 10 as well too in that kyler category like he has there's a lot of weapons to do it
2: what was that he has all the weapons to be a top 10 type of quarterback he just can he can he can he do it is going to be the next question
1: it's going to be it can either be really really easy for him too because those corners are going to just take at least 10 yards off they're going to be like nope 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 they are going to line all the way back because they don't want tyreek and Jalen water running off of them which means you could go catch throw curl tyreek or Jalen makes a guy miss that's a 60 yard touchdown you threw a and you threw a seven yard lollipop but it's a 67 yard touchdown for jay for Tua. so there's a lot you mentioned this is his make or break but give me baker over him maybe but i don't know but i think baker's kind of in as we mentioned in that 20 to eight 20 to 13-ish category for quarterback yeah. maybe 22 to 13 with plenty of room to grow so I'm excited. This is a, there's a lot of questions, a quarterback and we're probably gonna have to do a top 10, the top 10 quarterbacks. here are coming up. Yeah, two. we'll work our way up. This, so this feels like a pretty fun prelude We'll work our way there as we get closer to the start of the season, but that will do it for our main event today. And now we're going to head into Kelsey's favorite segment of every single show. That's crunch time brought to you by swift lifestyles. Click the link in our bio, click use code high, sports, get yourself some clean energy feel, whether it's for gaming, going to the gym, whatever you need, wake yourself up with some swift lifestyles. And Kelsey, as we head into crunch time, What's on what's on your mind, sir? What 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 are you thinking today?
2: You know, superheroes are obviously a big. I, I, if you guys can see over my shoulder, I have like mm. Power Rangers stuff back there. There's some Green Lantern stuff back there. So I'm a big fan of superheroes, right? Well, I got to see a real life superhero on the Fourth of July during the hot dog eating contest. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, go look up Joey Chestnut during the hot dog eating contest this season. Uh, the man comes in first of all on a ruptured tendon on his in his leg, so comes in on. Uh, on 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 crutches, gets up to the table. Obviously, we're talking about one of the greatest eaters of all time. And if anybody hasn't seen his workout plan leading up to the to the uh, to the contest, the, what he does on a, in a regular regular day uh, regular day, the man is actually kind of ripped. Like low key, <laughs> he actually has a fantastic workout plan, and so he is a tr- like he has turned himself into what is a very awkward looking athlete. But he <laughs> is an athlete at this point in time. Like, you have to kind of give it to him. Uh, So comes in injured. This is his flu game, essentially. And then all hell breaks loose on the stage of uh, the the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Um, You have guys jumping on there trying to talk about some kind of Death Star situation. And Joey Chestnut puts this dude in a headlock. And I thought for sure I just watched a dead man on my TV. Like when I watched this live, if you guys haven't seen the video yet, Joey Chestnut puts this man in a headlock and it looks like he breaks his neck. It legitimately looks like he ripped his head off and was like, all right, well I'm done now. And then goes immediately back to eating hot dogs in route to hitting 63 more hot dogs, beat his nearest opponent by over 10, over 15. Like I think his nearest opponent was 45. If I'm not mistaken, 44, I haven't looked up there. I, I forgot to look up the, the actual rankings for the second guy, but I believe it was 44 or 45. And he ends up with 63 hot dogs. After breaking a man's neck, he probably didn't actually break the man's neck as far as I could tell, but it looked like he broke his man's neck. And I look at this and I'm like, can Joey Chestnut make a transition from eating hot dogs to eating people's faces in the ring? Well, no. Can can he potentially do that? Because I I don't know. I I, Like you talk about all these celebrity boxing contests. I want to see Joey Chestnut in the celebrity boxing contest now.
1: I want to see him in the – I want to see him in the – Honestly, I want to see him do it on a full tummy. So he's on do this while eating hot dogs. Imagine him when he's not like filled or like conditioned to stuff his face with a th- billion hot dogs as well to which, by the way, 63 hot dogs in one sitting Sweet, My goodness. I don't think I've had 63 hot dogs. in my I life. ate
2: six one time. and My family was disappointed in me. So I don't like I if, if I ate 63 live on TV, I think I would be disowned probably 10 times over.
1: I think you'd be disowned by the time they hit 10. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, absolutely. What can't this man do is what it feels like at this point, too. I feel like he's going to have to do a backflip while eating at some point as well, too. He set the bar too high. So speaking of setting the bar high, I'm going to be quick on this one. I'm going to talk about somewhere that's not setting the bar high enough. Major League Baseball. This is the time when you can really take over the sports world. It is the NBA and the NFL are kind of in their they have their offseason spikes, where now the NBA is honestly kind of taking over because their season is more fun than their regular season is at this point. July 4th. The NFL owns Thanksgiving. They, they absolutely own it. Thanksgiving and NFL are synonymous. The NBA runs Christmas with five games, basically, dusk till dawn. Even the NHL has New Year's as well, too. Like they, This is the chance for the MLB to really take over July 4th. I know like 28 of the 30 teams are playing. Nobody knew about it, though. You should have like a run of primetime games, like three games in a row back, like triple header or something. You need to, they should really do something to really make July 4th theirs. Especially during the day before the fireworks are really going off in the evening as well. Too could you imagine? Like what we see in the NFL, those three Thanksgiving games back to back to back. Imagine if MLB did something like that all in prime time, not Bali Sports, not any of that other weirdness. Fox, ESPN, whatever it is, get your deal. Just three bangers like Red Sox, Yankees, maybe at the top, and then maybe have flexible games. So you have high-level teams matched up with each other. Things like that are high-level rivalry, something. The MLB really needs to do something to take advantage of July 4th and not just, oh, we have we have a lot of teams playing. Yay, go watch the ball game. No, they need primetime banger games to really own a holiday to really help them stand out. And MLB is kind of the one that seems to be slacking right. around. Even the UFC owns July 4th more than MLB, and that, that just can't happen.
2: The USFL owns the July 4th weekend right now. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do want to piggyback on you, what you said, and they obviously have their Independence Day theme stuff. Uh, here's what they did for the Toronto Blue Jays. If you guys don't know, Toronto is a Canadian team. The Canadian flag is red and white. They always do these themes with red, white, and blue, and they have the stars on them for the U.S. teams, and they always do a Canadian flag one for the Toronto Blue Jays. Except for this season, this is what they did. I just this is this is what they did. How disrespectful can you be to an entire country that you messed this up? MLB, what are we doing?
1: I think MLB, you got a lot of work to do on this as well. Too. I'm not one for criticizing. I'm not one for ranting. I'm not one for going off on this. But you dropped the ball. You dropped every ball so far. Like you you dropped more of them than Carson Wentz in the pocket at this point as well. So you, you dropped everything so far. So I digress, though. Take over July 4th weekend next year. Get some banger prime times. And don't touch the Blue Jays with Mer- with 4th of July stuff just let them let them do let them do their thing okay let's just stay out of this one but that that will do it for us here on the high low sports podcast we're going to cut this off before we both go on a wild tangent we appreciate you all joining us and we'll see you all next week. hi i'm maria
0: and i'm mike and we're team team ready.
1: ready black hills energy knows your home is where your heart is so they want you to be ready.
0: It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible.
1: Everything from how to weatherize
0: your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.
1: Hi, I'm Maria.
0: And I'm Mike. And we're
1: Team Team ready. Ready.